0: I'm so thankful for that truth this morning, that we have an unshakable foundation in Jesus. Well, good morning. It's great to see each one of your faces today. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here. And for those of you who are worshiping with us uh, online in our uh, our first ever live stream service, we're so glad that you have joined with us in this way. And uh, this is just, it's an exciting day, not only because we are now live streaming, but also we have a, kind of a treat this morning. We get to hear from our senior pastor, founding pastor, Tom Nelson, uh, who spends a lot of time at our Leewood campus, but it's great to have Tom here with us uh, at Brookside. It's been a little while since we've had the chance to do that, and so we're just delighted to have Tom here. If you've not met Tom before, like I said, he's a senior and founder, pastor of Christ Community, and uh, yeah, I've known Tom for a long time. We've gotten to work together, and uh, I was realizing, you know, my first, I met Tom as a freshman in college, and uh, Tom has just been an incredible gift and influence on my life, and so it's always, always good to sit under his teaching of God's Word, and uh, we're we're in for, uh, yeah, just a good good word from him this morning. So um, I'm going to uh, read uh, scripture uh, for us actually here. And you know, I don't know if I have my little scripture reading folder. That's okay. You know what? I've got Tom's Bible here. Uh, Tom, may I read scripture out of your Bible? I'm just going to read. Uh, we don't, I don't need to print out. I'm just going to read, uh, read it right from Tom's Bible. So our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 22. And we're going to begin in verse 39. And I happen to know, uh, this is my memory, that's on 882 in your pew Bible. Uh, I don't have that on my, on my sheet, but I've got that there. So page 882 in your pew Bible, if you want to follow along there, um, we'll hear God's word uh, read right from Pastor Tom's Bible. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. As he, and he came out and went as his custom to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well good morning everybody, Uh, I am Tom and uh, welcome. It's nice to see you, nice to see all of you online today and uh, we trust that you will sense Christ's presence here as uh, we gather. Thank you Bill for uh, uh, flexing on that Bible reading, it was great. Um, Across our campuses we are discovering and exploring perhaps the most brilliant gospel writer imaginable, the gospel writer of Luke. And in this series, Rediscovering the Kingdom, uh, Jesus invites all of us, wherever we are in our spiritual journey today, into his school of prayer. And I thought before the message, I'd like us to bow our heads and hearts and pray before the message. Would you join me? Just bow your heads and hearts as we pray and, and get our hearts ready to hear God's word. Wherever we are this morning. First, if your head's bowed, would you pray for your heart and mind this morning that you would hear God's specific word of encouragement or challenge for you today? Pray for that. Pray for those who are near you, both in physical proximity and in friendship or family, that they would hear from God this morning. And pray for me that I would be a conduit of the Spirit guiding us into the truth and grace of Holy Scripture. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Love that amen. It's hard to believe that it's been over 30 years since uh, my bride and I left Dallas after finishing school I jumped into a 24-foot rider truck with all our earthly possessions and our six-month-old son, Schaefer, and made our way to Kansas City to begin Christ's community. I remember as if it was yesterday. And actually, you think it may be one of the highest points of entrepreneurship, but actually I remember most one of my lowest points of life. Walk with me for a moment in that because it was a crucible of fear and doubt like perhaps I have never experienced. Soon after we arrived in Kansas City, my father-in-law, Bill, called from Dallas and asked me these questions. Uh, After a little initial conversation about our favorite sports team, he said to me and asked me the question, now, Tom, where is your church? Um, And then he said, how many people are in your church? And then there was this silence. Bill's silence spoke loudly, and it actually spoke exactly what I was thinking, like, Tom, what are you doing? And I have to say that after I hung up at the phone, my eyes fluttered in a puddle of tears. I knew he was right. It was like, it hit me like a ton of bricks, like, Tom, what are you doing? Are you crazy? And I remember the fear and the doubt that led me to another bedroom on, our, on the level of our condo, and I just closed the door. Maybe I slammed it. I can't remember and I got down on my knees in a puddle of tears again and I cried out to God. And some of the most amazing, overwhelming crucible of fear and doubt where I thought, the only path forward is devastating failure. Like, God, I'm way over my head. God help me. Now, we find ourselves in places like that, don't we? And prayer may not be the most natural response, but have you ever been where I have been? maybe not in starting a new organization, but I bet you have faced and maybe are facing today some very difficult crucibles in life where fear and doubt overwhelm you and where you feel like you're over your head. Again, maybe you are there this week as you look ahead. Maybe it's a crucible of fear prompted by an overwhelming challenge at work. Maybe you are in the midst of a painful conflict in a very important relationship and it doesn't seem like there's any way forward. And maybe in this COVID crazy world, you are in a crucible of loneliness you have never experienced before. You feel desperately alone and you cry out to God and you agonize over what to do and whether God is really there for you, and whether God will really come through for you. See, the raw truth about life and the crushing crucibles of life, the painful trials all of us face at some point in our lives is they can either draw us closer to God or drift us further from God. Isn't it true that these crucibles of trial and difficulty and temptation and doubt and fear can deepen our faith, but they can dilute it? Think with me for a moment, would you, like, what is the thorny trial, the gnawing disappointment, overwhelming obstacles you may be facing now in your life? What is it? Hold that in your mind and heart for a moment. Let me ask you the question that I ask myself. Is that drawing you closer to God or is it drifting you further from Him? Is it causing you to pray more? Or is it causing you to pray less? This tension rides across the shadow of this text this morning. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. Luke's Gospel follows Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And Luke's Gospel is perhaps one of the most brilliant literary masterpieces ever written We're going to see that powerfully this morning. In our text this morning, we encounter Jesus facing, if not the most, perhaps second, most excruciating crucible of his earthly sojourn. He is overwhelmed. He is in deep agony. And how does Jesus face this? How does he deal with the overwhelming crucible that he finds himself in? Well, we're going to see in our text that Jesus faces his head on, but on his knees of fervent prayer. And here in chapter 22, you all, brilliant Jesus invites you and me into this school of prayer. And in this school of prayer, and this text, follows three developments. This is how the text is arranged three lessons in the school of prayer. Whether you are new to the faith, whether you are doubting your faith, whether you've been a Christian for a long time, three timeless lessons Jesus teaches us. So let me frame those as we enter in. So you can kind of have either taking notes or it frames the logic of your mind. First, the first lesson is that fervent prayer protects us. Secondly, fervent prayer deepens us. And third, fervent prayer empowers us. So keep that in mind as we walk through the text. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice the first Lesson Jesus teaches us in the school of prayer, and that is fervent prayer protects us. Notice verse 39 as we set the context. Luke sets it for us, and Jesus and his disciples are now in Jerusalem. They will walk back and forth each day from the city center, the Temple Mount, Herod's brilliant temple, back across east up a kind of mountain called the Mount of Olives for a time of rest in the evening and solitude. It is called the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives, as it sounds, was named after the many olive trees that were there. And if you are in uh, the Mount of Olives, you look west and you can see from the eastern hill across Jerusalem. It's a beautiful sight, stunning sight. The Gospel writers Matthew and John, and again, I want to encourage you, if you have been reading the Bible or you're newer to the Bible, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that give us more full texture of this story. So I'm going to be gleaning a little bit from the other gospel writers to fill in narrative texture. The Gospel writers Matthew and John give us more narrative texture, more specificity than Luke. And they point out that Jesus' disciples are in a garden. Now keep that in mind. The Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane in the original language means the place of the olive press. Okay. And olives were crushed there and Olive oil was a very important staple, but also a very important barter currency in the ancient world. But keep this in mind that Luke doesn't miss anything. And so in this place of the olive press will be the place where Jesus is crushed in agony, his greatest crucible or second greatest crucible. It is also here that Jesus prays and he invites all who are his apprentices to join him in it. Look with me at verse 40. And when he, Jesus, came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now, the word Jesus uses here uh, that is given to us through Luke, uh, translated in English temptation, can also be translated trial. Now, what's going on here is he's not describing, you know, an annoyance or frustration. We all have those, right? Uh, I have those. Uh, When my technology doesn't work, really well. I just got a new Garmin. I love Garmin watch. I'm still trying to figure out how to pair this thing. Uh, Maybe you have these challenges, or, you know, your schedule isn't falling into place. You're constantly interrupted. We've had those moments, right, of frustration, but that's not at all what this word means. This is an unusual idea of overwhelming circumstances, a crushing reality that overwhelms us. It doesn't just describe the propensity of a fallen human life like yours and mine to be enticed and seduced by evil or wrongdoing. It's about me emotionally crushed in life with overwhelming difficulty. So keep that in mind. That's why I'm using the word crucible. It's probably the best idea here. Now I want you to observe with me how Jesus' words speak so powerfully right away about the protective effects of prayer. In fact, Luke will frame it and call it literary inclusio. Look at verse 40 and 49. This whole section is wrapped around this idea, and it's the idea that prayer protects us. Prayer has a protective effect, and it's built into this text literarily and in repetition, so keep that in mind. Now, let's recall Jesus' words here for temptation in the context of prayer has already been recorded by Luke in chapter 11. So in chapter 11, the disciples are so overwhelmed with Jesus' prayer, they ask him, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And so Jesus responds by saying to them the Lord's Prayer, and specifically, lead us not into temptation. Jesus emphasizes that prayer has a profound and, yes, mysterious, protecting effect in the world. So keep that in mind. Prayer protects us. It is mysterious. It is profound in its protecting effect. Now, you will also notice that Rabbi Paul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, will also say this. For example, the church at Ephesus in chapter 6, in the context of spiritual warfare, Paul says that prayer protects us in that picture of putting on the whole armor of God. He ends in verse 18 of chapter 6 of Ephesians. Paul will say, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Jesus reminds his disciples and Paul, right? Paul does a local church at Ephesus that prayer changes things not only in proactive ways but notice in protective ways. Now think with me for a moment about this. Prayer in ways we often do not fully see protects us from temptation, harm, and evil. One of the truths we may miss is that one of God's most common answered prayers that we pray and others pray for us are prayers for our protection. Think with me for a moment, would you? One of the greatest evidences of God's answered prayer for our life is often hidden from us. It's like the sins of commission and omission. You know, we can see sins of commission, but we often don't see the sins of omission. The prayers for protection are often not as readily seen. And yet they're one of the greatest apologias for God answering prayers. Think with me for a moment. I don't know where you are in your spiritual life, but think with me for a moment in your life. How many times God has protectively intervened in your life your family, your job, your relationships, and you are completely unaware of it. And you fail to give credit to God for his benevolent action, his answer prayer. See, Jesus' presence in our life builds this barrier between us and the evil that does stalk us and pursue us, according to the Apostle Peter. So remember, just a bit earlier in Luke 22, do you remember that? Jesus says a prayer of protection, doesn't he, from satanic influence, just earlier in this text, from over Simon Peter, saying in verse 32, if you have your text open, you can see this, when he prays, says, I have prayed for you, Simon, or Peter, that your faith may not fail. Jesus prays for the protection of his disciples. If we look at John's gospel in the same time period in the high priestly prayer prayer of Jesus in John 17. John 17, 15, Jesus says specifically, I pray that you would keep them from the evil one. Wow. Now, it's not incidental or accidental to the gospel writers that Jesus' fervent prayer is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is designed to echo another distant garden in a reader's mind. Let's remember that it was in the Garden of Eden described for us in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve will fall into temptation, disobey God, and plunged humanity and the planet into a world of sin, darkness, and death. Is it just me, or maybe I'm a little more imaginative or goofy on this, I don't know, but we wonder, don't we? I think we should. What might have happened if Adam and Eve, as they encountered temptation in the satanic crucible of fear and doubt, in the Texas shame, what if they sought out God in prayer and asked God for his wisdom, protection, and strength? What would have happened? No, I don't think we know exactly, but it's important for us to ponder that. And here, Luke reminds us with this clearly in mind in the biblical story, it will be in another garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus in his prayerful obedience will overcome the prayerless disobedience of Adam and Eve and the far-reaching cosmic tragedy that occurred in the Garden of Eden. So we may wonder why is prayer so important, and there are many answers to this, but why is prayer so important in our lives, our families, our workplaces, our church family? For one thing Jesus says, and perhaps it may be the most important, at least in the order of what he says, Is prayer has a remarkable agency. It has a powerful protecting effect on us and those we love in our world. Now, this is significant. We must keep in mind the stewardship of our lives. If you're an apprentice of Jesus, you have a priestly role in prayer, in praying for us, for your life, and for others. See, we've been entrusted with the stewardship of praying for protection over others. And indeed, it is a mystery. Luke wants us to see, notice in the text, that Jesus does not want his disciples to miss lessons about prayer. Now, I want you to notice very carefully in the text this. Rather than praying directly with his disciples, as I'm sure Jesus did many times, you will notice verse 41. Luke tells us Jesus withdraws from his disciples to pray. Now notice the spatial progression. Surprisingly, shockingly in the narrative, he doesn't go far, far away from his disciples. And Luke tells us, unlike the rest of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and John, notice his phrase, a stone's throw away. Now Luke does never Never waste a phrase. There's no throwaway phrase in this throwaway stone. It's fascinating. Now, I don't know how far you can throw a stone. (laughs) You know, it depends on how strong you are, probably how big the rock is, right? But this is not incidental or accidental to the text. What's going on here? The gospel writers Mark and Matthew give us more narrative nuance and texture. They help us to see a more complete picture of what's going on. They tell us that in this spatial progression, Jesus takes, here's his disciples, Jesus takes Peter, John, and James, his inner circle closer to him, and then he moves further away. This is very important. The gospel writers are telling us something. They're pointing to Jesus And saying Jesus is not only making space for more intimate conversation with the Father, but by his words, posture, and example, he is teaching his disciples about prayer. And Luke mentions they fall asleep three times, or they fall asleep. Matthew and Mark mention they fall asleep three times, which is fascinating, right? But they stay awake long enough, at least Peter, James, and John, to hear Jesus or some of Jesus' prayer in perhaps the most intimate moment of triune intimacy in all of Scripture. Wow. And they never forget it as it's passed down to the writers. This is important for us to grasp. Some of Jesus' very words, Jesus' very words of intimate prayer in that mystery of the triune God are recorded for us right here. And they're designed to rivet our attention of mind and heart and body. And here we find the second lesson Jesus teaches us. Again, first, prayer, fervent prayer protects us. Secondly, it deepens us. Notice where this text goes. Prayer not only changes things, we hear that, but prayer changes us. Prayer is one of the greatest conduits for our spiritual formation in greater Christ-likeness. It's one of the greatest gifts of spiritual growth. We are invited. Now think about this, and we see this clearly in John's rendition of this text in the upper room we are invited if we're apprentices of jesus we are invited to a deep intimacy with god not unlike not fully but not unlike the triune god and in its intimacy with father son and spirit and some of that intimacy is accelerated at least it seems like in the text and other biblical texts, when we are in the midst of the most difficult circumstances and agonizing crucibles and overwhelming trials and deep disappointment and deep loss in our life. Now notice, after moving a short distance from his disciples, Jesus intentionally gets on his knees and he draws near to his heavenly Father in fervent prayer. Look at me at verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, what's going on here? Here we are given, again, one of the most amazing, transparent, and emotionally vulnerable pictures of Jesus in his full humanity, his sinless humanity. You will notice how the gospel writers emphasize his emotional vulnerability, his transparency, they are striking. Not only to the Father in prayer, but Mark's gospel records Jesus' vulnerability before his disciples. Something illuminating important is going on here we must not miss. In fact, in Mark's gospel, chapter 14, 34, Jesus' words to his inner circle of disciples is incredibly insightful. Hear it. My soul, can you imagine Jesus saying this? My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Eugene Peterson, who is a wonderful biblical scholar, particularly in Hebrew, but also in Greek. He's now with the Lord, but he wrote a paraphrase called The Message. I highly commend it to you. He captures best this text. Capturing Jesus' transparent and emotional vulnerability. This is what he says Jesus plunged into a sinkhole of dreadful agony. He told them, I feel bad enough right now to die. That's it. Jesus articulates the agonizing contours and sorrowful depths of his soul to his closest friends. Jesus knows the way ahead of him, doesn't he? The cruel cross that awaits him, the crushing weight of bearing humanity's sin on him. He will soon enter. And that will make him experience something he's never experienced in eternity past. In all the mystery of time, of separation from intimacy with the Father and the Spirit. The physical, emotional, and spiritual, I don't know what word to say, horror, of what lies ahead of Jesus as the eternal creator, son of the triune God, you and I can simply not fathom. I doubt we as finite created creatures could ever handle it if we were exposed to it. Think about that. Jesus fervently appeals to the Father, no wonder to be spared, and he describes his crushing crucible as a cup. And you go, a cup? Hmm. You know, that's something I do at Starbucks. What's a cup? Well, Jesus' listeners in the first century understood immediately what it was. They were steeped in Old Testament texts and Old Testament history. For example, a prophet Ezekiel and Isaiah captures the idea of the metaphor of a cup as God pouring out righteous wrath and justice on evil. So this picture was suffering and affliction, particularly God's righteous wrath on sin. And it's not accidental that here, the picture, the vivid word picture Luke gives us, is the wrathful cup of a holy God is going to be poured out on Jesus, this incarnate, sinless Son of God. No wonder then, in the midst of Jesus' fervent prayers, y'all, there is literally a visible physiological effect on his sinless, incarnate body. Yet, in fervent prayer, Jesus will ultimately, won't he yield in complete trust to the will of the Father, he will say, not my will but yours be done. Now, prayer pursues deeper intimacy with God and deeper intimacy with God, friends, yields our will and submissive obedience to God's will in complete trust. This is where prayer takes us. In prayer, we talk with God, yes, but prayer's primary efficacy is that we listen to his voice, and we seek his will, and we align our will with him. Hearing God's voice and then obeying God's voice has this profound transformation effect on our lives and our world. Prayer changes things. It changes us. So remember early on, I asked you to put in the front of your mind and heart what is most challenging in your life right now. Is there a crucible of faith you're going through? A crucible of doubt? A crucible of overwhelming circumstances? What are you facing? Are you drawing nearer to God? Or are you drifting further from Him? Prayer also allows us to embrace the hurt, the anxiety, the fear, and the anguish of others. I was reminded of this recently. Uh, recently, I had the joy of uh, spending a couple hours with a long, long long-time friend and member of Christ's community. Mark has been facing the crucible of cancer for the last year. And um, he and his precious bride Sharon had just made the decision to move Mark to a hospice care context. We spent two hours in their home preparing his mind and heart to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Mark and his wife Sharon and I spent this time, a truly wonderfully sad time together. We remembered memories, we pondered the future through the eyes of faith, and we clung to the hopeful words of Scripture. Mark and Sharon both shared this has been the most difficult trial of their lives. But in that, their joy has blossomed. Their faith has strengthened and their intimacy with God has deepened. And they said periodically their church family and the prayers of God's people have encouraged and sustained them. Just a couple days ago, we lost Mark. But he was welcomed to his eternal home. The reality of prayer's transforming power is wonderfully captured by the New Testament writer the book of Hebrews chapter 4:16. Hebrews 4:16. Let me share that with you. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help in time of need. Can I encourage you with something wherever you are in your spiritual life today to memorize this text? Wrap it around your heart and apply it to your life this week. Hebrews 4.16 will encourage you, no matter what you're facing, no matter what your loved ones are facing, to pray with greater confidence and hopeful expectation. To trust God that he will honor his holy word in your life. Draw near. He will be there for you. See, with Jesus in his school of prayer that he invites all of us into this morning, we learn the lessons of prayer. First, fervent prayer protects us. Secondly, fervent prayer deepens us, but notice where the text goes fervent prayer empowers us. Following Jesus' fervent prayer to his Father and yielding the will to his Father, you'll notice we discover something in our text that many of us are quick to overlook. Look with me at verse 43. And there appeared to him, that's Jesus, an angel or messenger from heaven strengthening him. See, in our modern Western world, we may dismiss or gloss over this as an historical superstitious nicety of an angelic being. But we are clearly told in verse 43 that in direct response to Jesus' fervent prayer to the Father, An angelic being is dispatched to be with Jesus in his time of greatest need. There is an angelic presence and supernatural empowerment that is not fully explained by Luke, but it's never doubted by Luke. Have you ever wondered, maybe you have, I have, have you ever wondered whether God will move heaven and Earth in answer to prayer? That question is definitively answered here in Luke 22. Not only will God within the boundaries and mysteries and purposes of his sovereign will move heaven and earth in response to fervent prayer, but here in Luke 22, we see God involving the angelic realm in response to prayer. Do you, if you are a follower of Jesus and embrace the gospel, do you, do you grasp the unimaginable, powerful agency you have in prayer? Now, sometimes I grow weary in prayer, of course, and I'm sure you do at times. Sometimes it's easy to doubt my prayers. <laughs> it seems like they're shooting off the wall, right? That Prayer makes a difference. And when I fail to see answers that I want from prayer, I tend to become more prayerless, Rather than more prayerful. Yet here, we are reminded in, to be invited into Jesus' school of prayer. And we are encouraged that God not only hears our prayers, but God will, under his sovereign oversight, he will move heaven and earth to answer your prayers for yourself and for your loved ones, for our city and our world. It is a mystery but it's true. As we seek our gracious God in prayer, you and I can be confident. He will move to protect us. He will draw near to us. He will empower and strengthen us for anything we face this week. And God will not necessarily remove our temptation or trial or crucible or hardship, will he? But he will be there with us. He will strengthen and provide grace and mercy in our time of need. Prayer changes things, and it changes us. So what challenge, what's keeping you up at night what are you facing in your life? A long-term gnawing disappointment? Deep doubt? Fear? What is it? Will you face these trials on the knees of fervent prayer? Let me ask you. What is a next step that you can take on prayer this week? Again, perhaps you're exploring the Christian faith. You're struggling with gnawing doubt about the Christian faith. I would just challenge you simply and humbly to Pray these prayers. Simply, and I often pray in the beginning of my day, maybe it's as you get up in the morning, say, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Make yourself, and do it this week, every day. And if you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you are his apprentice, maybe your prayer this week is the disciples' prayer. Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. One of the most impacting spiritual disciplines, y'all, in your life is to carve out a daily time to pray. Take just a few minutes. Start there, beginning of the day. I, I like it, or at the end of the day, pause and pray. And you may simply start with the Lord's Prayer. I often do, or Psalm 23. And what about making a short list? I mean, you know, some of you may have long lists, but start with a short list of family, friends, coworkers, fellow students that you are gonna pray for. Bring them before God by name. Pray for protection from evil and harm over their lives. Pray for deeper spiritual intimacy in their walk with Jesus and for God to strengthen them in their families, their work, whatever they're facing. A great way to pray for others is to do it when you exercise. I mean, one of my favorite times to pray is when I run. And maybe you have a prayer walk out in the beautiful nature. I often have a list of people I pray for as I run. And would you pray for our church family? And pray for our pastors. We need that. And if you've not signed up for the form.life, I encourage you to do that. Many of our family members across the campuses are praying. And in just a few weeks, we're gonna have a 10-week dive in the form.life. If you haven't signed up, I encourage you to do it. encourage you in your prayer. We're going to have 10 weeks of focus on prayer in the form.life. As apprentices of Jesus, let's remember we have a priestly calling. We don't often think of ourselves as a priest. You are a priest, biblically, if you are a follower of Jesus. And a priest has this incredible privilege of interceding with people and God and bringing them together in a bridge of intimacy. Will you pray for others? Will you be a priest? That's what Scripture teaches. All of us have the privilege of interceding directly to God for others. And maybe you want to get into a small prayer group or in your community group, add more time for prayer. Praying with others deepens us. It encourages us. Prayer is more important and more powerful than any of us realize. And you know who knows that? The evil one knows it. And the evil one will do anything to distract us or to get us to forget this truth. The 18th century poet, I encourage you to read him, brilliant hymn writer William Cooper, put it well when he said this. He says, Satan trembles. I don't know much what Satan trembles at. Satan trembles, he writes, when he sees the weakest saint. That's the weakest Christian on his knees or her knees. Jesus teaches us this year. Prayer protects us, it deepens us and strengthens us. Now Christ' community is entering its 33rd year, which is amazing. what began in a small apartment in Nexa, God continues to give great favor and growing influence around our nation. From the very beginning, we've had a mission to be a caring family a multiplying disciples, influencing our community and world for Jesus Christ. Across our five campuses. Across our city, many individuals and families are being transformed as apprentices of Jesus. And together, we are bringing the love of Christ in very tangible ways to our city. In our places of work, in places of entrepreneurship, in cooperation with many ministry partners who cultivate the arts, serve the most vulnerable in our city. We are locking arms with other pastors and churches across urban and suburban ways that would have been unimaginable 30 years ago. And together... As part of this church family, we are influencing our nation now like never before through a growing national pastor and church leadership network. Maybe you've heard of it called Made to Flourish. Made to Flourish, going now in its sixth year, is in over 20 cities with a network of 3,700 pastors who are touching churches all across the country. We are serving the global church in many places, including Kenya, China, Iran. So how can this be understood? Friends, how can this be explained? It's not because we're so good or so great or so smart. The past and unfolding, and unfolding Christ's community story can only be explained through the supernatural work of God and only grasped through the eyes of bold faith and fervent prayer. Christ's community cannot be explained apart from that. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes us. And may we be a people of fervent prayer. And with Jesus' disciples, I trust wherever we are, we too cry out to God this morning, Lord, teach us to pray. Let's pray together the Lord's prayer as we close. Let's say it slowly and deeply, okay? This is our Lord's teaching. Our Father
0: Amen.